So as we read the miracle account we're about to, you need to know the reason John wrote it. The reason John included this one, and maybe not all the others that aren't included in this book, is that he felt like those who were going to read you, me, the church, we needed this to see who Jesus really is. John chapter 6. Today, we're talking about Jesus walking on water. When evening came, this is uh, chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And guess what? They were frightened. I would have been too. But Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. There's so many things in this small little paragraph that we could preach on. I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna hit hit us with the, the main heart of the text, but there's so much in this moment. And then when you take the other gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're able to pull different pieces of the story that John doesn't include. It even gives us a more holistic, large-scale picture of what's taking place here. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 Jewish people, Jewish men, right, who've been following him. They're blown away by the signs and the wonders. They've just been fed. And the Bible tells us it was just the men that were 5,000, so the crowd is more like fifteen to 20,000 people. This is just prior to this story. And if you recall, the people are blown away. They don't fully know all the details of what's taking place, but they know that they're reaching into that basket of five barley loaves and two fish, and every time they put their hand in, the food doesn't run out. What's going on here? Like, Jesus is doing something again. Can you believe it? Woo! You know, one more sign and wonder. You know, like, this is amazing. And so they've signed up for the tour, right? Jesus is, he's reached fever pitch, celebrity status in the eyes of these villages, in these towns, and the Jewish communities. And what they want to do now is force him to be king. It's time for a revolution. Little Kirk Franklin? Little revolution? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoop, whoop. That's right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If you don't know Kirk Franklin, you're missing out. Okay, that was, that was like late 90s. That was throwback. My bad. Are you ready for a revolution? Sorry. Jesus is not going to be made king by force. Not only is he not going to be made king by force and at the will of the people, he's not the kind of king. He's not going to be the kind of king that they want in this moment. They're under Roman oppression. They're under Roman rule. And it's what better 
revolutionary than, than someone like Jesus. He's demonstrated an ability to speak and to lead. He's, he's, he's a king, right? I mean, he's some kind of king. We don't, we don't fully know, but he's, but he, he's the fulfillment of, of some kind of prophet, prophecy, and he has, he has power. He has miraculous power. What, what better king could we get to lead us in a revolution against Rome? Make this guy king. The time is now. And Jesus is like, deuces, I'm out of here. And in classic Jesus fashion, just, poof, right, just, just slips through. But he says something to his disciples, and we get this from the other accounts. He tells his disciples to get in a boat and start rowing, and that he'd meet them on the other side. And we miss this a lot of times. Jesus is not He's not allowing the crowd to take over the mission that God had called him to. But make no mistake about it, if you're a disciple, one of the close disciples, you're very well probably, you're, you're, it's very likely that you're a little bit in this bandwagon as well. Like the, the opinion of the crowd and the, the force of the crowd, it would have been contagious. And for the disciples, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. And in their mind, they're also thinking at some point, we got a revolution coming. At some point, my family who's having a hard time back home, I, I, I'm thinking that, that by virtually being connected to this, it's going to end up making a big difference back here. Maybe there's going to be some money that comes our way. Maybe there's going to be some accolade that comes my way. But regardless, my position is going to shift and things are going to get a little bit better. Or, or maybe my name, you know, begins to get elevated. And we see this with the disciples on the regular. They want recognition for being in proximity with Jesus, who's the greatest. Oh, when you sit on your throne, can I be the dude that sits on the right? You know, and they even send their mother to ask Jesus to kind of get some perks. What is going on? They have expectations. The crowd has expectations. And Jesus slips past all of it. He dismisses the crowd, and then he sends the disciples onto the lake. He does. Get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. And so they do. they start rowing one mile two miles if you ever rowed before rowing is work okay three miles three and a half miles right understand this is not a huge lake but it is prone to storms and it's prone to rough waters it's prone to difficulty, but it's not a huge, like, rowing across it shouldn't be this big of a deal. And yet here they are in their boat rowing one, two, three, four miles, and they are not getting to the other side. It doesn't matter how hard they row or how long they row, they are not making progress. 
And at some point, you're looking up and imagine the scenario. You know what it's like to be exhausted from doing work and it's just, you know, it's, it, it, it's frustrating because it's not materializing the way you thought and you're sweaty, you're tired, you're hangry. You've got that, you've got that lake mist from rowing that just keeps hitting you in the face. You're getting mad about it. You're wet. You're all these things. And now the sun is setting and it's getting dark and the waves are getting rough and they're crashing and you, you're now getting concerned that you may not even make it. Like, are we going to be that? Are we going to be those guys? The fishermen who die on this lake and drown? What is going on here? And when you read the other gospel accounts, specifically in Mark, we discover, if you want to know how long they're rowing, they're rowing for a minimum at this point of nine hours. If you've rowed a boat, you can get a long way in nine hours. And to be unable to get past the four-mile marker would have been a clue that something is terribly wrong. Something's wrong. And this is where we find ourselves. And I want you to understand this because we've got to catch this church. That the disciples did exactly what Jesus asked and found themselves stuck in the dark, in the middle of a storm, unable to get to the other side. They were doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And yet here they found themselves stuck in a storm, in the middle of the dark. And many times when we look at our own lives and we're facing difficulty or hardship, you know, you, you, you've got the boat that seems to be stuck in the middle of the lake and you're, you're not getting to the other side. It's easy to look and think to yourself, I've done something wrong. I'm somehow sinned against God. And, and we see this. The disciples on more than one occasion have asked Jesus, like, is this guy's condition because of the sin in his life? And Jesus sometimes says yes and sometimes says no. Just the, the broken nature of the world has happened or maybe God is trying to produce something in your life that's just not there yet. It doesn't mean that you've blown it. It doesn't mean that you've jacked up. It doesn't mean that you're in sin. You're doing exactly what Jesus asked you to do. And yet here you find yourself in the dark, exhausted from rowing, unable to get to the other side. Have you ever felt that way before in your relationship with God? Yes. I have plenty of times. And more often than not, my first instinct is to think, God, what have I done? What have I done to deserve this? Lord, forgive me. And, you know, you begin to adjust the dial. And, you know, it, it's a good thing to examine your heart. That's a good thing. But there are times in your life, seasons even, where the darkness that you're facing the confusion that you're in. It's because you're exactly where God 
has asked you to be. And he is producing or will produce something amazing through it all. And your job is to hang on, look for him, and continue to invite him in to your boat, into your situation. So just full transparency. It's been a hard stretch for Pastor, for me. That was weird. <laughs> just decided to refer to myself. What, third person? Is that what that is? <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. Um, it's been a more challenging stretch. And I want to be really careful because what I'm not going to do in this moment is bemoan this to you. I'm not, my, my desire in this moment is to say, isn't to say my situation is worse than your situation. No, it's just, it's just my situation. And for us, you know, obviously post-pandemic and all the things, and everybody's had their, 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 their stuff. But one of the things that's been uniquely challenging on my plate is caring for family recently. Not my immediate family, but, but extended family. Grandparents in St. Louis, Missouri, mom in Nashville, Tennessee, and there have been some really unique and hard health challenges. And the truth is, is the, the weight of decisions and the weight of caring and things like that has felt, even if it's not always this case, it has felt like the weight has just been mine to carry, kid, the, the, the family to carry. It's just, it's just felt heavy. There's no other way to say it. And I'm reading this text. I'm preparing the sermon. And I'm, 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 I'm running this through my own life. Because the truth of the matter is, like, no one did anything to warrant some of the challenging and unique situations that they are currently in as it pertains to my family. They didn't do this. They didn't, they're not sinning against God and God is smiting them. The reality is there's just some really hard things and, and, and my responsibility in this moment as a son is to step in and to be faithful and obedient and to be a good son and a good grandson. And by virtue of looking at the scriptures and saying, okay, this is my godly responsibility in this moment. And Jesus, I willingly do it. I choose to do it. It is a part of my worship and sacrifice to you. I sense you telling me through this word to get in that boat and just start rowing and be faithful and do what I've asked you to do. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And yet here I am in the middle of the lake and it doesn't feel like I'm getting to the other side. And I'm working and I'm rowing and I'm sweating and it's painful and it's difficult and there are tears and there are tough decisions. And God, are you ever going to show up in this moment, because last time I checked, it's dark outside, it feels stormy, and I'm doing what I feel like is exactly what you have told me to do. And so you can get frustrated with the God of heaven and earth. And if I'm not careful, 
I miss him coming to me on the lake. I miss the value of what he's trying to produce in the midst of pain and in the midst of hardship. See, the God who performs miracles in the Bible, it's not just the kind of miracle where he makes barley loaves multiply and fish multiply or the kind of miracle where your, your hand is shriveled and bam, it's not. There are also miracles where Jesus walks on water, but also see this, and we're going to get to it in just a second. One of the greatest miracles in this moment isn't just that Jesus walks on water. It's what happens to the heart and eyes of the disciples who are sitting in this boat. Jesus shows up and they, they're terrified, as would all of us be, right? Somebody is walking on water here. I would have thought this is a ghost for sure. I would have been rebuking Jesus. I would have been binding its power. You go back to hell, you demonic spirit. You have no right here, you know. Actually, I would have just probably flopped out of the boat and just been like, I'm done. I got nothing left. I got nothing. I'm out of here. Take me now, Lord. Okay, let's just call it like it is. But instead, Jesus shows up. And he's walking towards them. What do we see in the text? That there's a strong wind blowing and the waters have grown rough. They're frightened. And Jesus is walking on the water, verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Now we read this. And on the surface, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, comforting text. Guys, don't be afraid. It's I. It's Jesus. You know me, rabbi, teacher. I just performed a miracle over here. Like, it's me. What we may not understand is that this translation that we're reading, this is the Greek. But the Greek translation, right, it's, it, 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 this is the language right here. When Jesus says, it is I, this is the same language translated when God shows up in the burning bush and says, I am. I am the great I am. Now, when the disciples hear this, they're in the midst of a storm. They're Jewish. The entire Jewish covenant, everything as it pertains to their faith, it hinges on one moment. And that moment is Moses leading Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And that significant moment where God shows up to Moses and says, I am the God of your ancestors, of, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. You, Moses, are standing on holy ground. P.S. I'm going to gift you, I'm going to grace you, and I'm going to send you to my people, and you're going to lead them out. I will show you my miraculous power. I will show you my strength. And I will show my people that I am the God who delivers. That is who I am. And I'm sending you, Moses, to do it. And now we have the disciples in the boat. And they're terrified. And the great I am shows up and uses the same language that God uses in the burning bush. And they would have known it immediately. I am is here. I am the one who is strong enough to make this storm go away. I'm also the one who's strong enough 
to multiply fish and loaves. I'm strong enough to raise the dead. I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. You don't see me yet for who I really am. And that's why I am showing up to you as the same God who showed up in the burning bush. I am also the same God who shows up in the raging waters. I am the great I am. Let your eyes be open. Let your spirit be expanded. I am not just a prophet. I'm not just a good teacher. I am God Almighty. And this storm will submit to me. And he steps into the boat. The storm's gone. And guess what? They just show up on the other side. What? What is, what is this? I mean, imagine you're just like, oh, God, go ahead and get in. And all of a sudden, poosh, you're just the shore. Like, I'm on the other side. I, we're there. What was God trying to do in this moment? But open their eyes to see him for who he really is, the value of who Jesus really is. He's not just somebody who makes our life a little bit better or gives some really great advice or upgrades a few things. He is God of heaven and earth. And he is the one who delivers us from our fear, from our pain, and most importantly, he delivers us from us, from our sin. That is who he is. Amen. Sometimes God will lead you directly into a storm so that he can open your eyes to who he really is. Sometimes when I get preaching, I'm so off my notes right now. That's all right. But this is worth coming back to. Because this is one of those lies that permeates kind of Christian, especially Southern culture. We love to say this, that God won't give you more than you can handle. And I want you to hear this. That is absolutely not true. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Not one, not one place. In fact, the reality is God will give you more than you can handle. He actually does it on a regular basis so that we will grow in our humility and dependence of who he is. I can't do this, Jesus. I'm not going to survive this, Jesus. I, I, I can't. I'm not, I'm, Jesus, I need you. I'm desperate for you. In my weakness, Jesus, you are strong. And sometimes the weak places of our life, they're glorious and they're wonderful, not because it feels good, but because your eyes become open to who Jesus really is. Does he give you more than you can handle? Yeah, he does. And it causes us to cling to him, to run to him, and to depend on him. And that is an amazing miracle. Stand to your feet, church.
after this moment, the disciples, so there's a turning point for the disciples after the moment with the 5,000 people being fed and the moment on the lake where Jesus shows up and walks on water. Where'd it go? From this time, the Bible says, as John 6, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. They're upset by what Jesus is teaching. They're upset that Jesus isn't the revolutionary. They're, all the ex expectations are not being met properly. And so many are beginning to leave. And Jesus looks at his disciples after having fed the 5,000, having walked on water. And he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's none like you. Jesus, I don't have all this figured out, but here's what I know. You have the words of eternal life. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. That's who you are. What compares to you? Where will I go? Where could I find nourishment that you can't provide? Where will I go to find hope and restoration and healing that you can't provide? Jesus, it's you. You're my everything. The Holy One of God. Father, in this moment, Lord, our eyes are, are more open to who you are. God, and if we've come into this place and our eyes still just feel shut, I'm asking miraculously, Jesus, that you would open them. Open all of our hearts and open all of our eyes more fully to you today. That we might see you as the Holy One, the Deliverer, the Great One, the Messiah, who is like our Lord, no one for you are the Holy One. God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And we worship you today. Amen.